Hey, it's mid-August, which means it's harvest time. After all the months of working the soil and planting the vegetables and watering and weeding and waiting, it's finally time to enjoy the fruits of our labors. Things like tomatoes and cucumbers. <laughs> Lovely. I love harvest time. I love this time of year. Maybe my favorite time because it's harvest time. You know, if there, if there wasn't fruit, it'd all be kind of pointless, right? Wasted effort, fruit, and fruitfulness, and harvest are important. Today we're going to take a look again at John chapter 15. And last Sunday we concentrated on the connection between the branch and the vine. And today we're going to take a look at the fruit and reconnecting to our purpose. Today we think about Jesus as he walked to his death with his disciples on that night, and he picks up on this metaphor of fruit and fruitfulness and harvest, and he's already thought about this. In his mind, he's made the connection, because earlier in the week, he said this, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, a great harvest. And so he's already recognizing that the result what needs to be produced through his life and death and resurrection is harvest. He wants his disciples, his followers, to think the same kind of way. So we're going to read the text, John 15, together. Uh, you read the part that is bolded, and I will read the part that is white. So just, just join me out loud when we get to the gold bold letters. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't and he prunes the branches that do so they will Very good. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot unless you abide in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not abide in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Abide in my love. When you obey my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Well, a couple thoughts out of that passage related to fruit. You saw how often it came up in the text. Clearly, it's a major theme, and we want to think about it. And the first idea is this. It's about thriving. The life of a true believer produces fruit. Jesus just said, true disciples, they are going to produce fruit. True disciples produce much fruit, lasting fruit. In other words, being fruitful is central to our identity and our purpose as believers. Just as the purpose of a grapevine is to produce grapes, the purpose of a Christian is to produce fruit, to be productive. The fruit is the evidence, the expression, the product of our true identity. It reveals, the fruit reveals who we are and who we belong to. Okay, can you remember with me, what was the first command in the whole Bible? What's the first command? Be fruitful, okay? The very first command way back in Genesis 1, 28, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, this is really more of a blessing than it is a command. It's more of an invitation to thrive and to multiply, and to work for the flourishing and the thriving of humanity and of all creation, all that God has made. Fruitfulness is a sign of life. It's a sign of health. It's a sign of blessing, and it is what God has created us for. It's what he wants for us. I love it. The purpose for which he made us is to thrive, to flourish, to be fruitful, to produce a harvest of course, the fruitfulness that is uh, mostly being referred to in Genesis 1.28 is physical fruitfulness, it's multiplying, it's reproduction, it's having babies, it's having kids and families and filling the earth with people. But now here in John 15, we're on the cusp of a new epoch, a new age, and the church is about to be brought into existence. And here at the beginning of this new creation, if you will, of the church, Jesus says, be fruitful, be fruitful. This is what I've called you to do as my followers, as my disciples, is to thrive and to flourish. So produce fruit, produce much fruit, produce fruit that lasts. By the way, uh, what are grapes produced for? Wine. That came very quickly, good. Um, uh, exactly. And of course, in a, in a country where there was often not a lot of water, uh, wine was necessary uh, for uh, survival, but it was more than just necessary. It was also a delight, right? And so uh, God calls us to be fruitful because it's necessary for his kingdom, but he's also called us into joy. I had you read that little phrase about joy, remember, that it's, it's the, uh, a joyful kind of thing. God didn't call us, you know, and sometimes we reduce Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts. Instead, he's called us to flourish and to thrive and to be fruitful. Jesus said, 
I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you want to get on that bus? Yeah, that's God's purpose for us, okay? To thrive and to flourish and to be fruitful. Notice that Jesus didn't actually command that his followers produce fruit. You produce fruit. Why? Because he's the one that produces the fruit. What he commands his followers to do is to obey him. Fruit, fruitfulness, harvest is the product, the result of obedience. And so what he actually commands his followers to do is to abide in him and to love each other. And if we abide in Jesus, actively abide in Jesus, and as we love each other, the natural product of that over time is fruitfulness. That's when we will really thrive. And notice, too, that this fruitfulness isn't just for our joy. It's also for the glory of God. God delights in it. So he's called us to this purpose, this wonderful purpose of thriving and flourishing and being fruitful and producing a harvest. And it's for our joy and it's for his glory. Because when we are fruitful, it reflects his goodness to the world. Now, this whole idea that uh, believers, followers of Christ are to produce fruit reminds me of one of Jesus' most often repeated parables, maybe one of his best-known parables, and that's the parable of the soils. And so Jesus tells a story about the farmer that goes off and sows seed on the field, and the seed falls on different kinds of soils. There's hard soil, there's rocky soil, there's weedy soil, and there's good soil. And then uh, as Jesus explains it to the disciples later, he says that the seed is the gospel message, is the truth of the gospel. And the different soils are the different kinds of people who hear the gospel and the different ways they respond to it. But he talks about the good soil this way. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. They take it in, they believe it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. So the life of a true believer produces fruit, not all the same amount of fruit, not all exactly the same kind of fruit, but it produces fruit, and you can can tell a believer by his or her fruit. So um, I have a little garden. It's only maybe, I don't know, 20 feet by 20 feet, okay? And I have four cucumber vines, and one is thriving, really flourishing. I mean, going gangbusters, wanting to take over the garden. And so, you know, it rained a lot this last week, so I didn't really go into the garden. And I was gone last week, and so yesterday I went and harvested all the ripe cucumbers. Here they are. This, okay, check it out. This is crazy. <laughs> this is the average size of these Cucumber, that's not a zucchini. It's a cucumber, and obviously they've been left to go a little bit too long, all right? I should have harvested them a little earlier. But this, listen, this is one, this one bag came off of one vine yesterday, so I thought, okay, I'm curious, I'm going to weigh it. So I weighed myself, and then I picked up the bag, and I weighed it. 20 pounds of cucumbers from one vine, Okay. These are kind of long, smooth ones. Then I have, then I have these other vines. It doesn't produce nearly as much, okay? Um, 
but I got another kind. They're really bumpy and spiky and rough, and they kind of look gnarly, but what's great about them is they don't have many seeds, right? I really like them because there are almost no seeds in there, and they don't produce nearly as much, but it's a cucumber. There's no doubt about that, and it's, it's healthy because it's producing good. Then I have two vines that don't produce quite as much. They don't produce 20 pounds, but they produce these kind of normally what we think of as cucumbers, you know? They kind of look like they've been waxed, and, there's, and they're good too. But that's two vines, and that's not maybe half as much. But the fact is, they're all healthy. They're all, they're producing, right? There's a harvest. There's fruit. And I can tell what the vine is. It's undoubtedly a cucumber vine. You can tell it by its fruit, What can people tell about you from the fruit? Jesus says that you can tell a tree by its fruit. Its fruit. Does the fruit of your life demonstrate that you are thriving and flourishing? That, there, that, there, that your life is producing fruit? We, we all need to be certified fruit inspectors. And, and start in our own life to say, what's the fruit of thriving, of flourishing, of uh, being a Christ follower? Does the fruit of your life identify you as a Christian? And what would that fruit be? Well, that's our second thought. Let's talk about flourishing. Let's talk about what that actually is, the fruit. Flourishing. What is the fruit of faith? What is the fruit of faith? In John 15, Jesus never explicitly says what the fruit is. He doesn't say, okay, be fruitful and let me list it for you. Okay? He doesn't say, the fruit is fill in the blank and then he gives you what goes in the blank. He doesn't. So every time I've ever taught on John 15 in an you know, adult Bible fellowship or a Sunday school class or a life group, we always end up having the same argument, don't we? We always argue about what the fruit is, and, you, and it always divides exactly the same way. So you get, you get people who say, now, the fruit that Jesus is talking about there is the fruit of the Spirit. And, and so it's the fruit of, a, of sanctification, of a transformed life, of a changed heart, of, of following Jesus more and more. So it's, it's sanctification, it's right living, it's righteous living. So you get, you know, okay, over here. And then you, you know what the other group is. The other group says, no, 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 no. It is, um, it's reproduction. It's not righteousness, it's reproduction. He's talking about making disciples. He's talking about lives and souls. And so then we, get, we, we always get into this divide in this discussion. So, okay, let's talk about it. Let's think about it a little bit. Which of those is it? An argument can obviously be made for the fact that it's the fruit of the Spirit. Think about it. Uh, a major command in John 15 is uh, love each other. Love. Love each other. Love each other as I've loved you and as the Father's loved me. And so clearly, love. And then we read it that uh, uh, Jesus is telling them these things so that their joy will be full. Jo joy. And of course, if we kept reading in uh, this text into John 16 and all, we would recognize that Jesus then offers them on more than one occasion his peace, peace that goes beyond our understanding. Love, joy, peace. Do you see the pattern there? 
Probably if you looked, you could find all the fruit of the Spirit in uh, this discourse that Jesus has with his disciples on the night before he dies. And of course, one thing he's going to talk a lot about that night is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who's going to produce patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's what the Spirit does in us. So clearly, righteousness, right conduct, right living is this, this part of fruit that needs to be abundant and flourishing and thriving in the life of those who call Jesus their Lord and Savior. Uh, maybe the best verse on it is Philippians 1, verse 11. Philippians 1, verse 11. Check this out. Um, Paul writes, May you always be filled... Now, filled is one of those thriving, flourishing, abundant kinds of words. May you be filled and full and overflowing with what? With the fruit of your salvation. Well, what is that fruit? What is the fruit of my salvation? What should my salvation produce? What's the harvest of salvation? The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. It's hard to get clearer than that, right? The fruit is righteous character. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Now, we have a tendency nowadays to get all frustrated about all the changes in our culture in the last years, and particularly in the last year and a half or so. You know, we, we, we get rather obsessed with the anti-God, man-centered ideologies, which seem to be proliferating. And uh, we're disconcerted by the substitute moralities that are devoid of the gospel that seem to just uh, flourish for some reason right now. And it's a bit distressing. But here's the problem. The problem is when we get so focused on protecting Christianity from these attacks. We get so focused on protecting Christianity that we sometimes forget what it means to be a Christian. We, we, we are then not flourishing. We're surviving, not thriving. And God, through Jesus, to his disciples, says, I've called you to be fruitful, to thrive and to flourish, not just survive. So we get so kind of obsessed with this and so focused on it that it ends up these circumstances and these ideologies and, and all that's going on, it makes us angry and unloving and joyless and anxious and impatient and unkind and mean-spirited and harsh. That is not flourishing. That is not thriving. That is not the character of Jesus filling us and overflowing through our lives to the world around us. I'm not saying we should ignore our historical moment. What I'm saying is that being right about social and political things isn't as important as being righteous. What the, jo what, what the world desperately needs because it doesn't have it is true love, true joy, and true peace. And those are the things that need to be flourishing and thriving in believers because we have a basis for it. We have a reason for it. We have all the fertilizer we need to produce love, joy, and peace 
abounding and overflowing and filling our lives and reaching out to others. Man, let's do it. Let's cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Let's do it together. Let's cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Of course, it's ultimately the work of the Spirit, but we, we in relationship, as we, as we help each other abide in Christ and love each other, will produce this fruit. We need, we need the Word of God in us to dwell richly in us, not the five or the view. We need the Word of God. We need the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We need the gospel daily, not social media. I am, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 50 whatever, uh, and <laughs> I, I finally have a regular Bible reading habit, all right, a regular Bible reading habit. Now, I don't, I don't have a regular Bible reading habit because I'm so disciplined. Most of you are by nature more disciplined than I am, believe me. Um, I don't have a Bible reading habit because I'm a pastor and that's what you're supposed to do. I have a Bible reading habit because I finally understood that if I don't get a daily infusion of the truth of God's word into my heart and soul and mind, then the world is going to steal my love, steal my joy, steal my peace, steal my patience, steal everything. I need it. When will we realize that we all need it? We need the fruit of the Spirit. I don't want the fruit to be stolen. I want to thrive. I want to flourish. I want to bring forth fruit that lasts, much fruit. So clearly, I'm pretty passionate about the argument that the fruit that Jesus is talking about is the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, but what about, the, what about reproduction? Okay, it's righteousness for sure. What about uh, reproduction? Well, clearly, uh, Jesus in this moment, think back to it's the night before he dies, he knows that he's going to depart and leave them, and so he's setting them up. He's going to pass the baton on to them the next day uh, with his body on a cross he's going to purchase salvation for us and and then uh, he is going to proclaim that salvation which he purchased to the world through his spiritual body the church he purchased our salvation with his physical body on the cross and then he's going to pass the baton and he's going to proclaim that salvation to the ends of the earth, to every nation, tribe, and tongue through his spiritual body, the church, that's us. And again, it's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that does it in us. And we read this at the, at the very end of chapter 15, the very last verse of chapter 15. He says, And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Your job is to testify, to witness, to tell others to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Now, clearly, the most direct uh, referent here is uh, his immediate disciples and apostles because they've been with him through his ministry. But we, as his followers, are also commanded and called and invited to be witnesses and testimony to Jesus. And we do it in, in the same power that his followers did it, in the power of the Holy Spirit. But his warning to them is also true for us. He says, I've, call, I've called you to this purpose. Here's your purpose. This is what I want for you, to thrive, to flourish, to be fruitful, to produce a harvest. But don't equate that with being easy. 
It's going to be tough. We read, starting in verse uh, 18 of chapter 15, uh, Jesus is going to talk about the challenges. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs, I did, yet they still hate me and my father. Wait, I'm going to go back a sentence there. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures, they hated me without cause. So that's quite a negative response, right? They hate me that they're going to kill me uh, tomorrow. They, they hated me and they rejected me and don't expect anything different. Well, what's going to provoke this kind of negative response? Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control that's going to provoke hate? Well, maybe. I kind of get annoyed by really good people. <laughs> Can we strike that from the... <laughs> No, I don't, I, I don't think in first order, I don't think it in first order that it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit that provokes such a negative reaction. What provokes that negative reaction is the proclamation of truth. The truth. That the truth is what provokes that kind of hate and angry response. It's the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and that he became a man and that he lived a sinless life and that he went to the cross and there on the cross he took the punishment and the penalty that you and I deserve because of our sin. And then he, he died, he resurrected, and he ascended to heaven where he is now Lord and Savior and he is returning one day and all of us, every single one of us, will have to give an account to him for our lives. He will judge us. And so what we need to do is acknowledge our sin, the rebellion of our hearts. And if we acknowledge our sin and confess it and repent from it, turn from it, turn to God in humility and submission, and in faith we will have forgiveness of sin and be restored to a right relationship with God. And that's where all the fruit and the harvest come in. But you know what? To some people, that is the, that's the fragrance of life. But to other people, it's the stench of death. That message, that truth, truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. And so we should expect that in proclaiming the truth, there will be some who respond with hatred and rejection. Now here's the deal, though. We, we have to hold on to the truth. That gospel message is life. There is no other way to be saved and to be made right with God than through the name of Jesus and believing on him. We've, we've got to hold on to that truth 
and, and, and if we are hated and rejected for the truth, Jesus says, par for the course. <laughs> okay, it happened to me, it's going to happen to you. Don't let it steal your joy. Your joy is in me. Your, and there will be fruit if you hold on and continue to proclaim the truth. But, but let's let the truth be what is offensive about us. Not our attitudes and our relationships and what we post. All right? If we're going to be offensive, let it be the offense of the gospel. Not that we're angry or harsh or arrogant. Instead, let us be humble and loving and filled with joy and peace. A joy and a Jesus said this is peace that the world doesn't understand. And as we live that out, there will be fruit in lives that are transformed and changed. Uh, well, you say, well, that's not the greatest text. Here's even a better text for the fact that the fruit is actually lives that are redeemed people, souls. Uh, Jesus says this in John 4, after the whole encounter with the woman at the well, he says this to his disciples, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest, what's the fruit? Is people brought to eternal life. So the fruit is people brought to eternal life. Okay, so which is it? Is it, is it righteousness or is it reproduction? Very good. You're, you're, you're hanging with me, you're sticking with me, you're following the argument. That's very encouraging. Okay, so yes, it's both. It's both and. And why? Because Jesus is the model for it, right? He's the example. And in his life, he reflected the truth of the Father to the world, but he also called people to be his disciples. He, he reproduced spiritual uh, life. So it was righteousness and reproduction in the life of Christ. And so as his followers and as the church, then it needs to be both righteousness, right living, and reproduction, reproducing ourselves spiritually. So the answer is both healthy plants reproduce so should the church so should we notice by the way that the pronoun you is plural throughout because we're such so individualistic and because the english language has a deficiency on this pronoun meaning that we use it for singular and plural we always assume it's singular but it's not always it's a lot of the times plural and so he's talking to a group of his disciples in other words Righteous living and reproduction is a team activity. We together are the vineyard. And together, we, our lives are changed. And together, as a team, we see reproduction happening. And it's important. Remember at the beginning, I said uh, that the, the months of working the soil and planting the vegetables and uh, watering and weeding and waiting are over, and there's the fruit. But, but, you know, we need to be in relationship with each other along those same lines, that, that we have relationships where people are willing to get their hands into the soil of our lives and get beneath the surface a little bit. And we need to be in relationships where um, truth can be planted into our hearts and minds and, and people that, that we water with prayer and who water our lives with prayer. And uh, we need people in our lives, and we need to be the kind of people in other people's lives where we do the hard work of weeding out sinful patterns and, and wrong attitudes and false beliefs. It's hard work, and, and sometimes we just need to be patient and wait with people. Waiting time isn't wasted time. 
And as we do that together in spiritual community, it'll produce a, a harvest, a harvest. By the way, my, uh, my tomatoes, you know, they're, they're lovely. Mm. But I, I prune, you know, you prune. You have to tend the tomato plant to get good tomatoes. Uh, and we need that in our lives as well. I want to end with this. I'm not going to end with a, an advertisement or a method or a calling you to a specific thing. I want to back up to that first idea that Jesus intends us to thrive. That's our purpose. Fruitfulness and harvest. That is our purpose. Living the abundant life means living for what lasts. It's living for what lasts. There are many good things in the world, but there aren't very many things that last. And we so easily get seduced and distracted into living for things that don't last. False fruit or fading fruit, it, it gives the appearance of flourishing, but it doesn't last. What doesn't last? Youth doesn't last. Health doesn't last. Pleasure doesn't last. Possessions don't last. Position and fame don't last. All these things, they can provide momentary sense of flourishing and thriving, but they don't last. They don't deliver on what they promise. So what lasts? It's a short list. Here's what lasts. Jesus and his unfailing love. Jesus lasts. The word of God and the gospel, they last. The truth of God. The work Jesus does in our lives through his spirit to make us more and more like him, that lasts. Souls last. If we want to thrive and be fruitful according to God's standard, we will prioritize those things. Are we willing as individuals and churches to pursue our calling to thrive, to flourish, to be fruitful by prioritizing the things that last? We're going to finish with a song. And uh, as you stand to sing this, it's going to be focused on Jesus because, again... We don't produce the fruit. Jesus produces the fruit in us. And our first choice has to be, what lasts is Jesus. And I, I'm going to concentrate my heart, my life, my soul on him so that we together can produce fruit that lasts.